friends, and welcome to this extraordinary edition of the Golf Podcast, unlike any other. This is Fairway Rollin', the Golf Podcast on the Rigger Podcast Network. I am your starter, Joe House, my birdie buddies, my par-saving pals, my eagle enthusiasts. The golf gods are great. They look down at us in this time of 2021 and said we have not yet done our part to make this year a wonderful year. Lo and behold, they picked a weekend without any football whatsoever and really no other interesting sporting events going on and bestowed upon us in all of his glory, the villain Patrick Reed. There is only one way for us to properly undertake this week's podcast on the line. Of course, our PGA tour correspondent, Nathan Hubbard. And then we had to hit up our homie from the action network golf bet, Sirius XM. Jason Sobel is on the line. The T is wide open fellas. Let's get this going. My Eagle enthusiast. It's fairway rolling presented by FanDuel. Major season is here, and you can get in on all the long drives, big putts, and major moments with FanDuel. Check out live PGA Tour bets like longest drive, round leaders, matchups, birdie or better, and more. Plus, track every shot in the app and watch select par three holes while you place your bets. Download the app today and bet with FanDuel, the official betting operator of the PGA Tour. Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. You must be 21 years old or older and present in select states. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors with over 122 million parts from superchargers and brakes to exhaust kits and beyond. eBay Motors levels your baby up to its peak performance and with eBay guaranteed fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. First of all, Sobel told me when I texted him that I'm not allowed to say Happy New Year to him anymore. So I will say, welcome and happy 2021 golf season, Sobel. Happy February to you, House. Yeah, you can't say Happy New Year. I mean, you text me on January 31st. I was like, dude, there's no Happy New Year to be said anymore. So, yeah, um, it, it only took a few weeks for golf to get into some major controversy. I guess we had some major controversy already. But, um, yeah, on a week when you nailed it because golf is firmly entrenched in the, the spotlight of the sporting landscape with no football going on. And all of a sudden we get a major controversy and a major villain winning a big time golf tournament, which gives us plenty to talk about. At least it's very, very sexy. Nate dog. I want to begin with some superlatives 
because we kicked off the podcast for the 2021 golf season last week, and it was deliberate. And this is something that Sobel touched on in last week's column that he wrote. The golf season, you know, traditionally on the calendar, it's a couple events in Hawaii. It's a nice tickler uh, in out in the, in the desert. And then it's time for some, some big boy golf. And that is this event at Torrey Pines every year at a great venue, a venue this year in 2021, which will be hosting the U.S. Open. And as always, the tournament delivered some outstanding golf play from some outstanding golfers, right? And we're not going to talk about any of it. But we, <laughs> yes, we are. Yes, <laughs> no, we are. It, it really did. I mean, the things that are going to get lost in this is, you know, Frankie Molinari shot a 66 on Sunday for his second top 10 in a row. And our boy, top 10, Tony, I'm writing a song for him. It's, it's going to be the tune of like a Spinal Tap song, but I think I'll have it ready for next week. But yes. to, top 10, Tony uh, it had a T2, uh, you know, another signature miss putt. His, eye, his new putter setup, dude, his eyes are too far back from the ball. We talked about it last you week. You said it's, it last week. You were on arc, it. The arc of his putter, if you look, he's just, he's going to keep missing putts until he gets, I, he overcorrected, I think. But he's on a roll. Sobel is all in on top 10, Tony, and I don't blame him. He made a bunch of great bets last week. And the only thing I do not understand is he relocated to Arizona, to Scottsdale. He damn near won this tournament last year. So you'd think after a couple of top 10s, and including a t- t- you know a T two last week, he'd be getting ready to win in Arizona this week. But no, he's going to Saudi Arabia. I don't get yeah. it. Well, but, but you you do get it. Li- listen, yeah, 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 yeah. But but like Will Zalatoris, we got to talk about who's just becoming an unbelievably consistent player. You know, there was Victor. So listen, underneath all of the Pat Reed saga, by the way, there was also a Rory Sunday bed poop again, which I, I don't, just I don't get Just a back it. nine bed poop too. That was what was so disconcerting. I, I just, I don't get it. Uh, it's, it's becoming, it, it was basically the worst round along with Adam Scott of anyone who was remotely in contention. But so there was a lot of really interesting golf going on underneath the surface and it just got completely consumed by Patrick Reed and what is now the most conspicuous burner account in all of golf, Patrick Reed's wife's golf Twitter God, account. So good. I, I'm telling you, the golf gods, I just want to thank them so much. I wish we could kiss them on the lips. Nate, you just went through, saw all of those interesting golfers and didn't even mention John Rahm and didn't even mention Xander Schauffele. And we are going to talk more about Rory McIlroy because Sobel has his column up um, as he's the hardest working man in golf, Jason Sobel. I really no, appreciate not even close. the hot. Well, you're, you're one of them because you already have your waste management preview up on the site. And I know that Rory is featured prominently in there. So I want to save our Rory takes our Rory analysis other than the embedded, uh, lie drop that he took. We'll talk about that, but I want to save his performance for when we get to the waste management um, preview. So I just want to bounce a couple of these things off of you. The performance of Patrick Reed was extraordinary, which is to say completely out of the ordinary, which is to say hasn't been replicated ever. And this is, we're going to, as we always do, hit up our homie, Justin Ray, for some of the stats. He says, over the last 30 years, Seven-tenths of 1% of PGA Tour winners have ranked 63rd or worse that week in greens hit since the PGA Tour started keeping stats 
1983, Patrick Reed is the only player to win a tournament by three strokes or more while ranking outside the top 60 that week in greens and regulation. I mean, that's extraordinary, right? Absolutely. And extraordinary is the word for not just the tangible analytics that are out there, but the mental fortitude that he put together. And say what you will about Patrick Reed. If you support him on this and say he's getting a raw deal based on prior reputation, fine. If you think that he's a cheater and think that he did something completely wrong, fine. We'll, we'll get to those takes. But whatever you think of Patrick Reed, you have to admit that the guy, when his back against is against the wall, he just puffs out his chest and plays better. I mean, you look at a few years ago, well, go back more than a few years, the Ryder Cup in Europe, he's shushing the entire continent when he's beaten their guys. Two years ago at the Hero World Challenge where he built a little sandcastle before hitting a ball and got roundly and rightly criticized for that, we tend to forget, but he played really well on the weekend, finished in third place. Last year, more criticism in Mexico, he wins. This week, a ton more criticism, he wins again. And I don't want to compare anybody, let alone Patrick Reed, to Tiger Woods, but I will say this little thing about the two of them. Tiger Woods was able, able to compartmentalize better than any other player that we've seen in an awful long time. Now, granted, Tiger was compartmentalizing some different things than Patrick Reed is compartmentalizing, but the fact that Patrick Reed is able to take, ah, the entire world hates me, everyone thinks I cheated, all this stuff is going on, it's swirling around in my mind, let me just put that in the far back reaches of my brain right now and let me instead just go play my best golf on a Sunday afternoon and beat everybody else by five shots. That is remarkable. It is, like you said, House, extraordinary. Nate, I'm gonna, I want to drop this dime on you before you chime in because it, it amplifies the point that Jason just made. And this is another J Justin, Justin Ray dime. Since 2010, there are more than 50 players with four or more 54-hole leads or co-leads on the PGA Tour. Of that group, so we're talking about 50 players since 2010, only five of them have won at a clip of 75% or better. Tiger Woods, Steve Stricker, Jimmy Walker, Bryson, and Patrick Reed. I mean, he's got stones, right? Well, he almost won the race for Dubai last year. I mean, the guy, yes, he's a... But this is serial killer level sociopathic compartmentalization. I mean, I, I was texting with Chris Vernon during the tournament i was like if he wins this i really think it means he has like three grandmas in his freezer it's insane that he's able to block this much out and just create this alternate reality and go do it but you are right i mean I, the, the hate is going to flow this guy is one of our killers the only problem is what he may be killing next is the u.s Ryder cup team because so much stuff happened this weekend and so many things came out about you know, the undercurrents of, of sort of toxicity and, and, and the things that have been said about other top players. I mean, just the used golf facts, Twitter account absolutely shreds Justin Thomas. How are they going to be Ryder cup teammates? And maybe it's left over from when Jordan left him to go play with, 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 uh, with JT in the last Ryder cup. And Reed was furious about it, but there's other golfers who are taking a fist to the mouth. I do not know how he's going to be able to stop 
the insanity that flows from this weekend. Well, Nate, I am interested. So I thought um, the way that we might handle our uh, respective views and sharing of points of view on this was to get sort of your perspective as our PGA Tour correspondent on the ground, the guy with his ear sort of in the circles of, of other players. And we have some players who came out publicly and said some stuff, but just sort of sharing with us the sentiments. Uh, and again, you don't have to attribute the sentiments to any one player, but you have your ear around it. And then I thought, you know, very interesting to get from Jason, sort of how does this translate into this new nascent building, uh, extremely exciting um, gambling uh, relationship that the tour has, um, and 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 you know just what kind of uh, integrity impact there may be with this kind of a rule situation. But Nate, talk to me about sort of what we we saw what Xander Shoffley had to say. We saw what Lanto Griffin had to say. What what what's kind of the sentiment? Your sense of of the reaction of the players? I talked to four players who said in the absence of the moment on an average Thursday tournament that they probably would have played it the same way. And they would have asked, and in the spirit of fast play, and we should talk about fast play because, because the slow play problem is part of the reason why these rules are in place, but that they, that they would have played it that way. But they also said in this context, that look, golf is a little bit like democracy. And there's some baseline norms that have to be followed and it has to operate with the organizing principle that at a high level, everybody's operating with best intentions. And when the fabric of that common ground gets pulled apart, it, it becomes weak. And what we saw this week was a guy who most of the players simply don't trust to operate within the framework of integrity and best intentions. And, and slow play, had, like I said, has been identified as a big problem. So a lot of the rules err on the side of trusting the players to operate with best intentions. And the embedded ball rule is basically that way. But what we saw was possible abuse of the rule from both the least respected player on tour when it comes to integrity of the game and probably one of the most respected rules followers on tour, which is what happened with Rory. And so... It, in this case, I think the guys are going to say, change it. A playing partner needs to validate that the ball is embedded. Or if they can't tell, then call a rules official over before you touch the damn ball. That solves the problem. A hundred percent right. And I'm very glad that you shared that anecdote of the folks that you spoke with saying they all would have probably played it the same way because we, we know that's true now with the benefit of the 48 hours that transpired. We watched Rory do it. Yeah. Uh, so we, we know that they would have played it the same way or, or virtually the same way. And one of the things that, that you know, having the benefit of, of time to contemplate it is apparent from the circumstances on the ground that Saturday afternoon is that it was soaking wet and the guys all were very comfortable with the ball in their hand because they were playing lift clean in place. We got over and, an inch of rain on Friday. It yeah. was saturated. Right. So, so Sobel, um, you know, in, in, in view of what Nate just shared, which is the idea, and, and you know, um, Dave Shedlosky 
uh, writer for Golf Digest. You know, he he tweeted, and it's it's a pretty simple uh, idea. New local rule for the tour: no ball in hand under any circumstances, except for lift clean in place in the fairway. If you need to pick up your ball to identify it in the bunker, rough, or you want to try and figure something out, you call over a playing partner or you call a rules official. Seems pretty simple. To me, House, this entire thing comes down to two red flags. Look, I I know people are arguing uh, whether Patrick saw it bounce or not and a, a tournament marshal. By the way, we shouldn't be looking at volunteers to make decisions no. that uh, that uh, weigh on the outcome of tournaments. This is, you know, these are people who just said, hey, I have nothing else to do for the weekend. They gave me a shirt and I paid them a hundred bucks and they let me stand uh, on the 10th hole this they, week. They so already that, measure 12 foot putts on shot link as 25 footers. It's, 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 it's just yeah. brutal. I mean, can you imagine, and uh, Nate, you and I were, were texting the other day during this whole thing or just after it was happening. I said, can you imagine if someone said, hey, your local NFL team needs people to sell beer. You can't actually watch the game really. And we're not going to pay you, but if you pay us, we'll give you a shirt and you can sell beer at the game the entire time. You think people would be like, oh, that sounds like a great deal. At least I'm somewhat around it and inconvenienced for a handful of Sundays. Like, no, you wouldn't do that. The fact that the PGA Tour still runs largely on the fact that a, a volunteer workforce helps them run tournaments is just amazing. So yeah, and let's by the not, way, they're good people, but yes. in a lot of cases, they're, you know, retired folks who love golf and they're close to it, but you know, retired folks generally can't see very well. They can't move very well. That's what happens no. when you get old. So no. uh, we can't be relying on them to chase down balls, you know, that are smacked 45 degrees offline. So whether, whether the, the volunteer marshal said, I didn't see it bounce or it didn't bounce. I, I give Patrick Reed the benefit of the doubt. I don't give him a whole lot of benefit of the doubt, but I'll give him the benefit of the doubt that he didn't see it bounce live. Fine. Here's my two red flags. First of all, I've never seen a player pick up his ball and then call the rules official while the ball is not where it was in the first place. That just seems fishy to me. That's where did Rory do the same thing where, Hey, it was in his, his plug mark and it was embedded. Yes. But he also didn't call the rules official over after picking. That's just, it just reeks of just strangeness right there, I guess. You know, just kind of trying to get away with something. The second part and the bigger part of this is, okay, so Patrick didn't see it bounce. He didn't think it bounced. He thought it embedded. Well, after the round, he goes to the scoring trailer and he watches the video and he sees that, yes, indeed, it did bounce. Then he walks out of the scoring trailer and after a long phone call with somebody, he goes on TV and says, it is almost impossible for a ball to bounce in the rough and then embed. Okay, well, he's just contradicted himself. Either the ball didn't bounce, which he already saw that it did, or it didn't embed, or what he's basically telling us is the impossible just happened. I just walked across the pond on 18, and oh, yes, my ball bounced and then embedded in the rough on 10. Uh, really? Really? Is that what is that what we're trying to buy here? House, where do you come out on this? I mean, I, I have to say that I took a little bit of a contrarian point of view. I mean, look, F Patrick Reed for the cheating stuff. I was a little more empathetic here because I really do think that he played it the way that he thought you normally would. We saw what, the way Rory would do it. And I, as, as Sobel just pointed out, I think he got on a phone call that lasted about 15 to 20 minutes, maybe with the, uh, with the person who tweets from the use golf facts account, who knows, but somebody told him that he had a problem 
And so he came out trying to give a press conference instead of speaking, you know, authentically. And and I think he tripped up a little bit there. But where do you come out on it? So I want to start with that end of the round moment, because imagine what we would be talking about if he had self-assessed a penalty. He had an opportunity staring him in the face to rewrite his entire sort of image and, and, and standing in the golf community. And he elected not to do that. Now, I wish he got better advice because I think he could have elected to take the penalty. Um, he was clearly playing great golf. He scrambled his ass off in an unprecedented way as the stats showed out. And I wish he'd done that because how cool of a story would that have been? He still would have uh, won by four. He would. That's right. right. On the other hand, I'm kind of glad that he didn't because <laughs> here we are. It's much more fun to talk about this. Now, here, here's one thing. And I, I um, was very surprised by very many aspects of learning about this rule. It is, and this is why I think Nate and, and Jason, both of you um, were inclined to cut read some slack in this instance. It's a reasonableness standard. And the reasonableness standard is based on the information that a player collects as he assesses the situation. And the, the, the guts of the rule, is it reasonable to conclude from the available information that the ball is in its own pitch mark? That's it. That's, that's the whole analysis. And that's why Rory conducted his affairs in the kind of the ho-hum way that he did. He did not ask for any other eyes to come observe the ball in its natural state before he touched it. And why Patrick almost got to the point where he could have rendered it ho-hum. I thought it was fine for him to ask the uh, volunteer standing there. Um, and, and you know, she she was unwittingly cast into this position of, you know, being a, a, um, a decider. But that's just because, for the most part, we don't really uh, under... I, I think the, the golf public writ large doesn't understand how this rule operates. That's just, honestly, to me... Patrick collecting information. He asked all of his playing partners and their caddies, did you see the ball bounce? No. He asked the the official, uh, I mean, the, the volunteer standing there. She was closest to the ball when it landed. Did she see it bounce? She said, no, it didn't bounce. It's not, she didn't say, I didn't see it. She said it, that it didn't bounce. So suggesting that she was yes. watching it. And under all of those circumstances, it was absolutely fine for Patrick to go ahead and take the relief, which is what he should have done. The farce of calling in the rules official is what drove this whole thing over the edge. But and didn't it was he do that because we shit on him and he gets called a cheater and he maybe has some so, level of right? self-awareness and he's like, look, I'm leading the golf tournament on a Saturday. I'm going to make sure that nobody calls bullshit on this. So just to be safe, so nobody gives me, you know, crap on Fairway Rolling or the 10 shows that Sobel's on every single day from 6 a.m. to <laughs> 2 in the morning, that, that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure that I do this right. Why do we crap on him for that? It's extraordinarily self-defeating. And it's self-defeating because he went off the, completely off the rails as soon as he picked the ball up, right? You can't summon the rules official, and move the ball. Those two are exactly. incongruous. And well, you so can. It's just Repu dumb. Yes. yes. <laughs> sure. Reputation comes into play here. And I, I know that we'd like to sit here and say, 
well, they're all golfers. We treat them all equally. They all play by the same rules. The analogy I keep coming back to is if you've got an all pro left tackle who hasn't given up a holding penalty in three seasons, and you've got a rookie right tackle who gives up three holding penalties every game, guess which guy the referee is going to be keeping a little bit more of an eye on. He's going to be watching the rookie because quite frankly, he knows that that guy is going to commit a violation of the rules at some point. And so, yes, are we watching Reed more carefully than we watch a Rory McIlroy? Of course, Patrick Reed has had more rules controversies, more rules staffus over the past three or four years than the entire rest of the PGA Tour combined. That is not a coincidence. Well, I'm interested in um, pursuing this idea of farce with the rules officials because we had, uh, speaking of other sort of extraordinary circumstances, it was CBS's first broadcast of of the season. And they had, this is still weird to me, an actual live, currently um, active rules official as part of the broadcast, like not a retired person, the way that the uh, NFL and the NBA do it, where they get you know an old referee to come be, be you know in the booth or available to them to ask rules questions of no, this is a guy that that uh, you know eight months ago would not give relief Ken Tackett to Bryson DeChambeau who was trying to move a ball away from a fence. Now they asked Tackett for his review of what went down with Brad Fable. Fable is the rules official who came over and observed the scene. And the instinct of Tackett was to immediately launch into cover speak for Brad Fable, the rules official who arrived on the scene, rather than, than and this is unfortunate for, for Ken, because I don't know whether or not he has any experience with being on television before, if anybody was in his ear. You have to do the, the common sense thing first, right? Which is, well, Patrick called over a rules official and that, but that rules official couldn't say anything about whether or not the ball was embedded because the motherfucking ball was sitting four feet away from from <laughs> from the hole. All that rules official could do is come over and observe the mark that that Patrick had made with the tee and stick his hand down in the grass and see whether or not he felt you know a hole that that Patrick said was there. That rules official was completely deprived of making any kind of assessment as to whether or not there was an embedded ball present there because there was no ball there. And it would have been good of Tackett to have at least done that common sense observation. I agree. And you have to give a lot of props to Faldo and to Nance and to the rest of the CBS crew. Amanda did a great job. I I thought they really handled it well. They did not back down from it. You could hear coming out of the break one time, Faldo saying, guys, Patrick, and they clearly were having the discussion about how to go at him. They were looking at Twitter. They were seeing the uproar. I thought they did a good job. You know, the truth is, in that situation, he's not supposed to call a penalty on himself if the ball isn't embedded. He's just supposed to replace it. So I, I, I think, sure. but, they, but they just didn't make enough of why, if he really wasn't sure, did he not call the rules official before he touched the ball? That's speaking all. of CBS, Agreed. speaking of CBS, uh, the, the fact that they kept coming back to it on Saturday, and Nate, you're absolutely right. I am 100% convinced that whether it's, the commentators themselves, a producer in the truck, somebody at home texting them. They're like, hey, get on Twitter. The entire golf world is talking about this thing on social media, and you guys have to bring it up some more, and you guys have to address it. And then 24 hours after the fact, they lead off 
the Sunday broadcast at three o'clock Eastern time with a 15 minute, basically round table discussion discussing it. I thought it was maybe a little over the top. I thought they could have showed live golf while they were talking about the it. The coverage but- gap was a problem. Yes. Because the OSU-MSU game had run way <laughs> over. And so instead of yeah. a 15-minute coverage gap, it became a 30-minute coverage it, gap. It's always a problem. It's always going to be a problem. Yes. And then we got Butler-Cabin discussion of Patrick Reed before we actually got golf. Well, Patrick Reed's making an eagle. Right. We get all of that. I will say that just a few years ago, CBS would have glossed over it on a Saturday. We'd all be sitting there at home talking about it and tweeting about it. On Sunday at 4.53 p.m. Eastern time, as Patrick Reed's doing something, they'd make a casual mention of it and then sweep it under the rug. So I think the fact that they spent so long on it was CBS basically raising their hand and say, saying, hey, we have some journalistic integrity and we're going to show it now. We might not have done it in the past, but now we are going to address these issues as opposed to just pandering to the PGA Tour and trying to sweep everything under the rug. One other thing I just want to say, I don't understand why the golf journalists who were there with grounds passes on Saturday did not go out to the spot to see whether it would have been possible for a ball moving at that velocity about three feet off the ground to embed. Like maybe it was super soggy, but we could have gotten a lot more information around whether Patrick's original assessment that it was embedded was reasonable or not if they'd just gone and looked at the spot. In defensive golf writers, since you're since you're gonna pick at our <laughs> my my golf journalist cronies, first of all, I'm not sure how many people are out there. Like I right now, like they have cut back so much on the amount of media credentials they give. I just don't know. Faldo should have walked down there. Dottie should have walked down there. Somebody's gotta go do it. Colt Nost was out there. Colt could have made his Colt, way over there. Somebody's gotta go over there. And and look, there was so much going Colt on. Colt's doing extra work. But Colt's yeah. not doing any work. I don't know. Uh, no, I'm kidding. I love Colt. Uh no, that that is a, an excellent point. I will say that when you've got all this stuff sort of swirling around, okay, so it happens on 10. By the time it gets to like 11, 12, 13, it's like, okay, I get it. Like this is the big news of the day. Yes, it takes a little creativity to go. Hey, everyone's going to zig over to the interview area and go get him. I have to zag that wasn't over about to the 10. golf writers. I didn't really mean the golf writers. I just no, wish I, somebody I, had I, gone and checked the turf. That that yeah. would I should have gone. But I mean, for Nate, Nate, it's my fault. Here's the thing. <laughs> um, it it was apparent from the order of play of the day, and and this is uh, I'm interested and curious in your reaction to this. That rough is unlike rough that anybody's played in in some number of months, maybe since Wingfoot, uh, right? Because it was from Rory's reaction, the way that Rory handled um, his shot, it's apparent that there was a prevailing sentiment amongst all of them that the rough was deep, that it was definitely wet at the bottom, and that it wasn't that extraordinary that a ball might embed. I mean, you know, the the Rory didn't ask for for another set of eyes. He just went in and grabbed the ball. He's like, it's embedded. These guys had been sloshing around in very, very wet, muddy turf and they made that assumption clearly that I mean it would be interesting to know how many other calls for uh, embedded ball there were on Saturday right uh, and and we haven't gotten that set either look I, this it comes down to this for me I think Patrick is getting more shit uh, than he maybe uh, deserves for this because I think he actually played it the normal way I think what he screwed up probably was being self-aware enough to know he might get called 
for, you know, cheating or bullshit if he didn't call a rules official, but not being self-aware enough to think soon enough in the process, maybe I don't touch the ball before I call the rules official. And and that's it. That's it. That's the biggest challenge. This is, you know, for for both of you guys, when we play competitively, when we're playing for, for the money that we play for, for 10 bucks or 20 bucks or whatever we play for, when we encounter circumstances uh, with the ball up against a tree, up against a fence, on a, on the line of a hazard, any of it, the, our instinct, at least my instinct, I'll put it in the form of a question to you guys, I never do anything before I consult with the other guys that I'm, I'm, I'm playing golf for money with. Because yes, there's the basic, honor among thieves. That's it. That's it. So come over here and look at this. Would you please come look at this? This is what I think is the situation and this is what I intend to do. Do you agree with that? Yeah, of course. By the way, since, since we're talking sort of theories and what's going on, there's a lot of theories out there. I don't know if I buy into this or not, but a lot of people are trying to point out, and this might be just Patrick Reed haters, that the way he picked up the ball, when he marked it and then picked it up with sort of the palm of his hand and could have pressed down as he picked it up. I mean, is that, I, I don't know. I it, Look, I innocent until proven guilty. And so I won't sit here and say, uh, he's a cheater because he made his own embedded impression into the ground by picking up the ball and pushing it down when he picked it up. Do you think there's anything to it? Did, did you see that? Did you see the drone shots yesterday? First of all, good job, CBS, with the drone shots. But as they would expand and go around the greens, you can see, and so well, you've been out, you know, how many people are actually there when a camera crew is following, even in the stripped down COVID times, is following the final group. There were probably two microphone people. There were multiple camera people. There was a couple of carts and their drivers. Somebody would have stood up and said, you know, in the last 48 hours, I think uh, I saw Patrick push that thing down. There'd be, it's like the conspiracy theory. There were too many people there for something to not leak. So I just don't buy it. Well, that's that's a different sort of analysis, though, Nate, than what we did observe, which was him poking around. Yeah. I mean, it, he didn't just pick up the ball and then leave that area clean. And in fact, look, I have uh, I'm not going to say where I got this from and I'm not going to read the whole thing. Tape? Oh, no, I had, no. I have a text from a from a player from a PGA Tour player who said his issue is he spent time checking around in that area. Uh, to test the surface, and it's very possible that he and he he his own self, uh, uh, you know, punctured the surface that he did it even unintentionally, and then he gets up and he cleans his hand with a towel. But he didn't need to call for the rules official. That's right. That's, so why, why would he have I, even done that? That's right. Unless it, he was covering his ass. I, I just I, don't. I feel like many people in the public right now think bored. that like they're bored. <laughs> they also think that. These are the first two embedded golf balls in the history of the game. Right. And that it's never That's happened right. before. Like, oh, what yeah. do you do? Oh, my goodness. Like, I, I'm exaggerating. But uh, I will say the difference between the two, besides just their reputations, besides the fact that Patrick called in a rules official after he picked up his ball, is the fact that Patrick basically gained an advantage from where he dropped and Rory gained no advantage. Yes. Yes. I think at a macro level, here's the problem. Like we said earlier, there's honor among thieves. This is a game of integrity. It, it only works if everybody follows the norms. And the truth is, everybody believes there's a bug in the matrix and his name is Patrick Reed. 
And so it, it just doesn't hold together if you have somebody who you don't trust playing alongside. And so the tour now has to think, as you alluded to earlier, House, how do we change these rules so that nobody's touching the ball? Golf, you're not supposed to touch the ball. You play it we as We don't lies. touch the ball. We don't do it because that's how you catch a punch from your pal. I, I don't want to get a punch. That's right. Whether it's Rory, whether it's Patrick, nobody should be touching the ball unless, you know, uh, uh, unless, you know, it's absolutely clear and obvious and it wasn't. And so change the rule and let's get on with it. And, and if we're really going to be upset with golf writers, Sobel, nobody asked about Justine's Twitter account and I don't understand it. We're going to talk about that in a second, but I, I want Sobel on this integrity point, particularly because of his background and who he writes for to help us think through the gambling implications, if if there are any, maybe there aren't any, but at this you know early stage of golf's relationship with gambling and trying to build support among the gambling public to gamble on on golf, what kind of impact, if any, Sobel, do you think this might have? So for those out there, and I'm guessing that most of the people that are listening right now understand the. Uh, the tie between the PGA Tour and gambling. But for those who don't quite get it, I will give you this one very simple fact. I was on a Zoom call last week with a couple of PGA Tour VPs, including the recently hired VP of gaming. The PGA Tour wow. now has a VP of gaming. If you weren't sure just how serious they were about bringing this whole thing into the public consciousness. They're doing a show. NBC is doing a show on Peacock Premium this week uh, centered around gambling. It is basically a, a gambling-related broadcast uh, of the Waste Management Phoenix Open. I mean, they are all in. They've got four official betting operators. We at the Action Network have a partnership with them through GolfBet. I mean, they are all, all, all in. So, yes, this could be a major factor. We saw PointsBet, who's one of those official betting operators, refund all the money, or I guess refund it in the form of having free bets out there to, to make with any uh, outright bets that, that people lost because they didn't have Patrick Reed. And so is it a marketing ploy by points bet to yes. get people out there? Yes, it is. Yes. yes. Yeah, why not? But you know what? We're sitting there talking about it. It gets people kind of fired up, gets people saying, hey, well, you know, that was cool. I mean, it's the same way I always talk about this guy. You know, John Rom wins in Phoenix this week. And he goes from I don't know, 10 to one to eight to one. And they make him the master's favorite. Is it really because he's the master's favorite or is it because a certain book wants to get out there and send a press release saying we've installed him as the master's favorite and we all go on radio and TV and write about it and they get a bunch of free publicity. But Sobel, so. it, really, it matters. I mean, with the whole GameStop thing from last week with Robinhood was about, you know, people are starting to use that app in a lot of ways to gamble on stocks. And if you... If you stop, you know, if the rules are fundamentally unfair or there is a, you know, a, a misdeed that works against the little guy, the whole thing unravels. And we got to be careful here because there's a lot of people sitting there going, I, I got I got screwed. Right. I got screwed. It, it, it's easy for you guys to say, uh, you know, fairway rolling guys, that if he just called a penalty on himself or whatever, he still would have won by four. Maybe not. Right. Maybe that shakes him. And, you know, Hovland doesn't hit doesn't yank two wedges or nine irons into the shit on 14 and, and he comes in and, and wins. So I, 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 the integrity here is critical as you point out. And, and so I really think that the tour, given that they've got a VP of gaming, that VP of gaming is probably standing there behind closed doors right now saying, 
we got to make this explicit and overt in in how we got to stop relying on the integrity of every every player because at some point that that starts to pull the fabric of of this apart. What's really funny to me, guys, is that the PGA Tour, of course, golf is a game of integrity. The PGA Tour has has an integrity code for its players. I mean, you know, Rory McIlroy can't go out and bet on himself this week um, if he thinks he's going to win. There's there's an integrity code that they have. And yet things like this, things like they won't divulge suspensions and fines. They won't give, I, in a lot of ways, the PGA tour is trying to progress into uh, the future generation of, you know, Hey, we're going to have gambling. It's going to be legalized and regulated and we're all in. And yet part of the PGA tour is still stuck in 1973 where they don't want to divulge anything and they want to keep it all in house. And I don't think you can have it both ways. Well, so well, I, I do want to to um, give credit. I think credits due here. You guys correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't the tour itself publish in its own social media the video footage of the in, entire episode? I mean, I yes. thought that was pretty extraordinary and not something that I would have anticipated getting out of the tour in in any kind of previous years. Right? No. If they, I wonder if they had ruled a violation on Patrick, do they still go and post it? Like if it was, hey, after the fact, we're going to dock him a shot because we think that it wasn't embedded, whatever the case might have been, as opposed to, hey, look, our player did the right thing. And our rules committee said, our rules official said, hey, it was textbook and everything turned out great here. Let's show it to you. Yeah. Okay. I take that point. But I, I on the on the gambling point, I guess I, I'm not that concerned about it. And the reason I'm not that concerned about it is because every single week when I bet on football and basketball, there are calls made by the referees in those games that tilt the outcomes of those games that I always feel like call into question the integrity of of what's going on there. For instance, the pass interference call that was levied against the Green Bay Packers at the end of that game against Tampa Bay after the referees seem to ignore dozens of pass interference calls that might have been levied against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Dozens is an overstatement, but that kind of thing happens across the sporting world. And yet every single week, I still sit down and place these wagers on the sports that I love because that's part of how I enjoy consuming the games. One point on that is we got to be careful we don't go to the other end of the spectrum and start to put a whole bunch of these outcomes in the hands of the rules officials. There are two kinds of rules officials out there. The players will tell you, and Sobo, you chime in on this, but there is the kind of rules official that we saw get with Patrick who you know is working with the player to try to find the right outcome. There are some rules officials who um, sometimes want to make the story about them, just like we see in basketball sometimes, right? And so I, I hesitate to, to go too far the other way and start to make it about what the rules official decides on the course. I'd so much rather it be among players and, and try to really have uh, th- there be sort of a system of checks and balances between the people in your threesome or, or your playing partner. Yeah, and I'll, I'll just add to that, Nate, that the rules of golf inherently are there to help the player as opposed to penalize the player. This isn't like some sort of gotcha thing like, hey, your ball's embedded. If you do something wrong, you can get a penalty. It's, hey, your ball's embedded. So if it is indeed uh, halfway underground, you're entitled to help yourself to a free drop. And and it, if you use the game the, the game's rules to your advantage, um, you're going to be better off for it. This is not 
uh, it's going to help you as a golfer more so than hurt you in the long run. You just, you, what, what you're saying is you've got to use golf facts. So that's what you're saying. <laughs> use golf facts. What a great name for a Twitter account, huh? Let's do that before we get to, to taking on uh, the Waste Management Phoenix Open. So one of perhaps, may, maybe the very best outcome of, of all of this. I mean, there were many, many great outcomes <laughs> and, and wonderful content across the board. But there has been a long harbored suspicion that the Twitter account, uh, it's it's at use golf facts. It was founded in December 2019. Um, and it has a particular point of view as it relates to Patrick Reed. It's a very supportive Twitter account for Patrick Reed and his standing in the game. And that Twitter account um, takes issue with a lot of people across the golf spectrum, people and institutions um, where Patrick Reed doesn't seem to be getting the kind of fair shake that the author of this Twitter account seems Patrick is, is entitled to. This, this Twitter account, um, simultaneously, it seems unintentionally, tweeted something that, in, in all caps, that was repeated on Patrick Reed's own <laughs> Twitter account. <laughs> in all Weird. caps. At exactly the same time, maybe within minutes of each other, these posts about Rory McIlroy's embedded ball situation being uh, identical to what Patrick himself encountered. Now, she was right. With, within a little, when it, within a, uh, a short while, the uh, allegation about Rory it it remained on Patrick's account, but came down from from used golf facts, and so. I don't think there's any conclusion for any of us to reach, but that the author of, of, of that tweet and the person that handles both of those accounts is none other than Justine Reed. Yeah, it was the other way around. I think, I think it came down from Patrick's and it stayed on used golf facts because it, it was it. Whoever runs the account responded with that, those words about Rory to like 25 different golf journalists who were, who were sort of slamming on Patrick. The moral of the story here, guys, is don't let your wife have your password to your Twitter account. I, listen, I think it would be great. I, my problem with it is she's got some hot takes. My, my, <laughs> my, my problem with it is the feces that are being thrown around Ryder Cup teammates, about Ryder Cup teammates and other golfers. Yeah. That feels pretty dang aggressive and, you know, not in the spirit of the game. It also feels like this is a burner account that is like not such a secret burner account anymore. And like, I, I feel like whoever's running this burner account is sort of throw their hands up and go, you know what? I don't know. You got me. And I don't really care. And I'm going to keep tweeting from here. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, all the above. Uh, when well, are we going to see like Webb Simpson's wife's burner account? <laughs> <laughs> Where she's just complaining about all the kids that she's got to deal with while he goes off and plays golf. <laughs> She doesn't need a burner for that. She could just say it. <laughs> Nobody would take issue with that. Adam, right? Adam Scott's wife's account tweeting ugly pictures of him around the house. <laughs> Whatever. I love it. This episode is brought to you by Evernorth Health Services. Costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And Evernorth is doing everything in their power to make that possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best. It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that'll benefit your bottom line. It's possible. 
complex specialty care that cares about your ROI, it's possible because they're already doing it all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you will always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Well, let's talk some golf. We have coming up this week, uh, the Waste Management Phoenix Open um, in, in uh, Scottsdale. And we have some, some, um, a pretty great field. Maybe it's a surprise, maybe it's not a surprise, but Rory for the first time ever at this field. Um, in this field, a bunch of guys coming directly from Tory. We will be missing um, some guys who have played this event in the past uh, because it does uh, directly conflict with the Saudi Arabia money grab event um, where a handful of players, uh, the most prominent players in the game are going to fly across the world and collect checks and play in the middle of the night. None of us um, care, but you know, we, we should all be so lucky, I guess. I mean, I, I wouldn't do it, but, you know, good good on them, I guess. I mean, we, we've talked about it on the pod before. It's it's DJ is going over. Bryson's going over. Uh, Finau's going over. A couple of Patrick Reed is going over. Um, do you think it, it, there's a line of demarcation here between people who might be interested in the PGL and those who are going to be loyal to the tour? Part of PGL is we're going to pay you more money. We, we might, you know one of the knocks on the PGL was that it was funded by Saudi money, right? And there were some people who came out, including Rory, and said, I'm going to defend and I'm going to stay with the tour. And then there were people who seemed to be more open to the idea of, of PGL. Does the choice to, to play this event versus go do the money grab tell us a little bit about who might be open to the money grab uh, if the PGL continued to, to hover over, you know, like a ghost? I like it. What do you think, Sobel? Yeah, perhaps a little bit. I thought the PGL was sort of dead in the water right now. I will say that the one thing I could never get past when it came to this is that the PGA Tour and the European Tour basically own the official world golf ranking. They, they sort of they sanction it for whatever um, 
if that's the right wording for it, but they basically preside over the official world golf ranking. And so if the PGL became an official tour and they wanted to get world ranking points, well, the PGA tour and European tour can basically say, nah, we're good. And so what would happen is all of these players who want to take the money and take the Saudi money and go play on the PGL. Well, they wouldn't get any world ranking points for doing so. If you don't get any world ranking points, you're not going to get into the biggest tournaments of the year. You're not going to get into the masters and the other three major championships. And if you don't get into those, what are you even doing? Why are you playing professional golf? And so to me, just that little domino effect right there as to, you know, could they even become a sanctioned tour? And if they can't, because literally their competition would have to sanction them. And and I don't see that happening. Then how would they ever get guys to commit to their, their tour, their circuit without, without ever being able to play in a major championship or a world golf event or anything else like that. Well, the good news is this week uh, in Phoenix, the strength of field is enough that even with those guys going over to Saudi, this is a super strong field where people who win this tournament are going to, are going to get a bunch of world ranking points. And, and from a money perspective, I assume this is still going to be an incredibly lucrative event, even without 250 plus thousand people a day, because at least we're going to have 5,000 people house. And I am so excited to finally hear some uh, screams and roars from drunk people watching golf in person. So are you, Nate, one of the 5,000 that's going to be there any of the days? I think there is a decent chance I'm going to be one of the 5,000. I expect, and Sobel, you may know a little bit more about this, but I expect there's going to be another 3,000 corporate types around there for a total of something like 8,000. But I think so. I do know that the 16th hole, which usually has, I've lost track over the years, 21, 22,000 seats around it as far as bleachers and everything. I've hung out there for the past, you know, uh, largely for, you know, probably 12 of the last 15 years I've been at this event and spent a lot of that time at the 16th hole itself. But they are not going to be part of the general admission ticket. So if you want a ticket to 16, you basically have to pay up. It's more than a general admission ticket, but you have a specific ticket for the 16th hole as opposed to, hey, I got in there at 6 o'clock in the morning. I ran through the front gates. I went to 16. I got my seat. That's not the way it's going to work this year. Well, Well, they have to do it that way, right, to to ensure the distancing that's required. Yeah. And to, to make sure that, you know, they, those things are basically, we call it a stadium, but it's basically a giant bar with seats. Mm -hmm. And so the food and beverage component in the age of a pandemic is, is going to be the part that is uh, the most interesting to see how they handle. I I, I do think here, I think the tour has made really good decisions uh, about how to first shut down and then, and then bring back the sport, um, how to, how to keep, you know, how to handle cases as they come up. I think they've just been thoughtful about it. And so I actually give give the tour the benefit of the doubt here that they've done a lot of thinking about how to open back up and bring in fans in a, in a safe way. It matters to bringing back fans overall because if, if we can, you know, we said this last week, if we can do it in Phoenix, we can do it anywhere. So th- this is actually a sneaky, important week for sports uh, getting back to the sort of energy that we're used to. One of the things that's, we won't know the answer to um, for some time after the tournament is completed is whether there is any public health um, impact. Arizona is a, is a hotspot right now. Um, And, and, you know, has been kind of in the the crosshairs 
for a few weeks of the resurgence of the virus. So I am going to be particularly interested in seeing how they, um, at this venue, have folks spread out um, in a way to minimize the impacts. I mean, we have all been lucky enough to play golf with um, friends in our, our relative locales, and we know how to be distant, you know, uh, among, you know, a, a dozens of people, but this is, you know, thousands of yeah. people on a golf course. So it'll this be interesting to see. And Sobel, you've seen it. You walk in, you come on into the tee and there, if you're a player between you and the green on the left side, there's a stable of 3000 donkeys who are drunk as hell. They've done Google research on like your like your nanny's boyfriend's name and they're screaming it as loud as they can. Like there's just a ton of great fun heckling that goes on. They're crowded in there like it's Coachella. You know, the guys will run through and high five that crew. They'll throw uh, uh, souvenirs into the crowd. And sometimes people get in there and crowd surf themselves. I don't think we're going to have any of that this year. So it will be a markedly subdued 16th, I would imagine. I can tell you that my buddies, uh, brothers, Dave and Mike Leonard, they're the guys that do Leonard's list. They make a laminated list. You have to laminate it because you're going to get beer all over this right. list. But they literally have facts about every single player in the field. Right. And they give them out to everybody in the section right where you walk in, just left of there. They're the guys in the Vikings and the Arizona yeah. State jerseys. They're there every year. They've been there for 23 and 22 years, respectively. The two brothers got a text from Dave the other night. They will not be there on site this year for the first time in over two decades. Wow. He's like, it's just not worth it. He's like, it's yeah. not going to be fun. It's not going to be the same. We're not going. Well, there'll be some drunk idiot who tries to pick up the, the mantle <laughs> and fails miserably. But, uh, but look, I, I'm just excited where, to where see all the co Where are all the co-eds in high heels who are a little tipsy and trying to walk around a golf course going to go? Well, that's they're going to have to wait a year. Yeah. That's all. Uh, when, and and we will wait a year to see them as well. Let's talk about the great field at this event and let's get some of your thoughts, Sobel, since you've already put in the time and the hard work on this. John Rahm, uh, who just played at Torrey, another uh, top 10 finish. Justin Thomas, which is great. Z Xander, with his, off of his very best finish ever at Torrey Pines. Rory, who we talked about, and defending champion Webb Simpson, all at uh, the waste management here. You have an early sense, Jason Sobel. You have an early kind of preference for Rory McIlroy. I'm kind of interested in hearing the thesis. So it's a little two-pronged here. So first of all is the fact that TBC Scottsdale is a place where you have to drive it well. And if you drive it well, you can have success. And if you don't, you're basically not going to be a part of the leaderboard. And Rory McIlroy in the for desert. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Rory McIlroy, for all his struggles over the past year, struggles to win at least, maybe not struggles necessarily with the, the full part of his game, but he drives it as good, if not better than anybody in the world. And he has for a long time now. And so you look at the driving numbers, he's second on the PGA Tour this season in strokes gained off the tee. He was second last week at Torrey Pines in strokes gained off the tee. And so I think a change of scenery, you mentioned earlier, House, that this is the first time he's playing this event, I think just a change of scenery, sort of recharge the batteries, get them a little refreshed, uh, see some uh, a different golf course, be able to think his way around it. And I love the number. The other part about this is he opened at 12 to one. He's down to plus 1150 last time I checked as we're recording this now on Monday evening. But the fact that he is nearly double the number of John Rahm, who's the tournament favorite. Justin Thomas was 
uh, just a little bit higher than Rom. Xander Shoffley, in fact, has lower odds than uh, than Rory McIlroy. And so I just think it's a good number for Rory. And at some point, the guy's going to win something. It's been 15 months. The WGC HSBC champions in China was the last event he won November of 19. At some point, Rory's too good to keep screwing up on Sundays. Well, Nate, Nate mentioned the screwing up on Sundays. Nate, what are we to make of that back nine at Tory? I mean, Rory really put himself in legit contention on a front nine, uh, 33, I think he shot. He was either two under or three under on the front. His name was among the top five names when, and by the way, kudos to CBS with the bug, the, the leaderboard bug in the, in the lower right, outstanding. And they were flipping, you know, they, they were, they were keeping it up to date. It was updating instantaneously and they were flipping, um, you know, the page so you could see 10 to 12 names. Great, great job by CBS with the introduction of that info. But Nate, uh, Rory really let us down on the back nine on a Sunday. What's going on? It's what he'd done the week before, uh, on the European tour event as well. It's what he has struggled with is putting four rounds together. Let me say why I love Sobel's pick here. And that is because the back nine in Phoenix is fun as hell. And 15 is a absolutely reachable par five. 16 is the crazy par three. 17 is a drivable par four. And 18, you got to hit a great tee shot, but it also gives you a birdie chance. So guys can come in somewhere between four and maybe even five under just coming through those last four holes. So so it's going to give uh, Rory with his driver an ability to totally differentiate himself with three good three good drives and a good uh, tee shot on a par three coming in to maybe reverse this trend that we've seen. Sobel, I want to ask you about another player. Uh, we talked about him last week on this show, Fairway Rolling. We talked about a handful of guys um, we were trying to forecast what kind of season they might have in store. Uh, and Nate made the astute observation that we had to wait until this week for the Ricky referendum, the state of game for Ricky Fowler. Where is he and what is he capable of in 2021? Because 2020 was a lost year for Ricky and Ricky, his own self, said so. Is there any reason to think that there is a, a performance lurking? in Ricky Fowler that's going to remind us of, of, of the caliber of player that he once was? Not this week, but I do think that he is gradually progressing. The numbers have been pretty good. He's made a couple of cuts now. And so I look at Ricky and I say, you know, would I put my money on him this week, whether it's outright, whether it's top 10, even a top 20 type of prop? No, I'm not doing that. I don't think he's ready for it, even though he's won on this golf course before and played it really well. Now, if I look at down the road, where I'm trying to find value in say a PGA championship or an open championship uh, as far as a futures bet. Yeah. I think that it's well within reason that three to four months from now, Ricky's game could be back to where he wants it to be. And he could be one of the games, if not best players, at least better players. He could be a top 10, top 15 type of player uh, within not too long. I just don't think it's going to come in the very short term, but over the, if not long haul, sort of medium haul. I do think that Ricky's got, um, he should have some reasons for optimism. I am cautiously optimistic about his game moving forward. I, I, you know, it's not as if he's shooting eighties out there. It's not as if he's 
Uh, gone through a huge slump. Didn't have a good year last year, as you mentioned, but um, I still think that he can come back pretty quickly from everything he's sort of gone through, put himself through, whatever it might be. Yeah. Nate, give us a couple names that you like this week, other than Rory. Yeah, I, I, look, I love Max Homa this week. He was, T, mm. he was T6 here last year, and he has been in really good form. He had a real chance to win at the Amex in Palm Springs, and he top 20 uh, this past week at, at Torrey. He, he's not been at his best on Sundays, uh, and, and he wasn't last year. But I, I think Max is bringing his game into form. So I'm excited about that. And look, I just Xander was T16 last year, but he was plus three in the final round. And it was a colder, windy day. It was a tougher weather day. But, you know, he was in contention to win that. And coming off a of T2 last week, I think that's why his odds are so high. He looks really good this week. Yeah, I, I'm on um, a new guy, a little bit out of left field. Uh, so, well, I'm, I'm, I'm joining your, your homie, Chris Murphy, your colleague, Chris Murphy. I really love Will Zalatoris this week. I just think, you know, we, we are rapidly approaching this moment we are, where he's going to burst on the scene. He's, he's on the scene because all he's doing is collecting top tens every week. I got a lot of funny texts from people who saw him on the Sunday broadcast and are like, is, does that guy dye his hair? Why does he look like, you know, this, this beautiful surfer specimen? And I don't have a good answer for that, but I do know that he is one badass uh, golfer and the, the heater that he is on right now. I think this would be a good venue um, and opportunity slash moment for him to kind of burst on the scene on Super Bowl Sunday and show uh, show the entire world. This is me sort of making a narrative pick, although there's plenty of analytics. You can check out Chris Murphy's column on GolfBet um, at the Action Network and, and see the underlying analytics that support Zalatoris. But I'm, I'm on WZ this week. Okay, so a few things. First of all, you can also check out my preview in which I have him for a top five this week. So I like him as well. If you look back, he's played seven PGA Tour sanctioned events since the beginning of September, he's been eighth or better in four of them. That's remarkable. I mean, the kid has just burst onto the scene and not shying away from anything. I will also say that he's one of six players who finished 32nd or better last week. So is in form, is playing well, and is also top 30 in strokes gained off the tee this season, which as I had identified before, and Nate backed me up on this, is very important this week. And so you look at Zalatoris and then you start going down the list and it is list Luke list, uh, Henrik Norlander, yeah. Wyndham Clark, Sam Burns, Sung J M all guys who drive it really, really well and played really well last year, yeah. I, last week. I, I just think it's like, it's almost like one of those neon signs glaring at us. Like, Hey, here's the guys they're right here for the take. And whether it's top fives, top tens, top twenties, they're right there for us. I, I walked with Wyndham Clark last year on his opening round 62, and he was money. This course, he's a good putter. And like you said, he drives the ball well. This course sets up well for him. There's two guys who we haven't talked about. You know, we did talk about Fowler. This is sometimes a litmus test for his game and, and how courses can sometimes shock guys into, into you know, getting their, getting their game 
in order, maybe even faster than we thought. I think that happened to Patrick Reed last week, to be honest with you. He missed the cut at Amex, and he didn't even hit the ball that great as, as you laid out. But right. I'm also really excited to see two guys. One is Gary Woodland, who, you know, House, you picked him last week. Uh, uh, probably the only pick that you made last week that didn't play out. But this is a special place for Gary Woodland. He His friendship with Amy Bockerstead is worth seeing if you haven't if you haven't seen the video. This place really matters. People love Gary Woodland here. He's just a rock star at this event. So it'll be interesting to see if, if he can jumpstart his game here. And then the, the, the other one is, there's a guy who has four majors in his trophy case and has a streak of three missed cuts going, which he's almost never done in his career. And, and, and that's Brooks Kepka. And so I am really waiting to see whether Brooks, who has now, you know, just not shown up these last couple events, can find a way to get it together with a few fans in the crowd this week. I like it for the driver of the golf ball point. We've seen it from him before. We haven't seen it so far this season, I do want to very quickly defend Gary Woodland was on the leaderboard on Thursday. He just fell off over the course of the tournament. He, he made the cut uh, and he talked about, you know, how he put the, his hip injury from last fall in the rearview mirror. Um, but I really like James Han, Han pick. <laughs> <laughs> I liked him last week. I did too. I don't know what happened. Who Han or Woodland? <laughs> Both of them, actually. Both. Yeah, I was sure. On both of those guys. It, here, here's a here's a deal, guys. You do enough shows, you wind up picking everybody in the field. So you just say, <laughs> "Yeah, I was on them." Yeah. That's what I found. All the touts do in this business. I hate that word tout, but all the touts do is just you do 18 different podcasts in a week, and you wind up mentioning everybody. And then after some guy wins, you go, "See, I told you. If you would have listened to the Tuesday show at 3:37 p.m., I told you about him." house the, well, the, the ryan this, seacrest of golf these are the kinds of problems that you have well this is this is why i gave him such compliments at the outset of the show because he put his picks in writing he's got now it is more names than you can fit into a fantasy lineup or anything else but look if you we we all know that the correct way to play uh golf gambling and golf uh wagering is is to you know spread it out sprinkle because you, you can't grab any one guy on any venue and expect any kind of particular return uh, unless it was it's Tiger at the Masters or or Bernhard Longer at the Masters. That's the only one I always ever feel comfortable enough with. <laughs> but I, I'm also on another name um, who had an outstanding, and I love the way that you wrote it up, Sobel, um, Sunday. And by outstanding, I mean he was all over the place. It was very enjoyable. Sung Im. Uh, the, the Sunday performance, he, another guy who showed up on the leaderboard, um, he was either four under or five under on the front, uh, and five, under, yeah. five under, and then made the turn and came up with two doubles and three bogeys and ended up wherever he ended up, uh, for, for a one over round after starting off absolutely incandescent on fire. But that's a guy who for sure fits your um, parameter of, of being capable of driving the ball with accuracy and, and length, right, Jace? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, Sungjae on any given week, I'm still trying to figure out exactly when and where he's going to play his best golf. He, he's tough to figure out because he plays every single week. Yeah. And so he just goes out there and just, you know, I don't know, one week he might be a little tired and doesn't play great. The next week he goes out there and, Hey, it's just, he's feeling it again. So I, I'm still not quite sure I can find a rhyme or reason. I've not gotten into a good rhythm with picking Sung J M, but 
all things considered, uh, again, a really good driving course. He's a really good driver. It should match up pretty well. And he's played well here in the past. Uh, he was seventh, I believe, here two years ago in his debut at this one and 34th last year. So a couple of good starts, and he's gotten a lot better since then. Yeah, Nate, I'm going to give you the last word, one last pick, uh, and then we're just going to thank the golf gods. Uh, you have you have a sleeper for us? My sleeper is health. Let's not have this yes. be a super spreader event. And That's right. let's have golf uh, wonderfully guide the way to bringing fans back to sports. And I would love it if this week, instead of the snail or the drop, that we actually, the big story is about the golf. Yes. Let's have it be That's about weird. the golf and let's all just let Saudi Arabia happen while we're asleep. And, and you know, who, who cares about the outcome of that? Agree. Real quick, Sobel, because we're not going to talk to you before Sunday again, who you have for the Super Bowl? As a longtime New England Patriots fan who watched number 12 play for, what, 20 years for my team and rooted for him. Um, I didn't even know until this week he was playing for the Bucks. I, I thought he retired or something. So I am uh, all in on the Chiefs. I, I have heard, as as we're talking right now, there's uh, a couple of COVID cases on the Ooh. Chiefs. Ooh. And so one of them, Demarcus Robinson, and I, I just heard this from my my producer. We were on a call just before we started doing the podcast. And so um, I haven't uh, seen official, but if that is the case, and if it is indeed spreading to the offensive unit of the chiefs, then I, I withhold the right okay. to change this pick. But as of right now, I'm going to go with the chiefs minus three, minus three and a half, whatever it is. Yeah. Fair enough. Nate, who do you got? Rams 2022 <laughs> <laughs> Stafford all, all day long. I still trying to figure out who's going to play quarterback for the Washington football team. Uh, we're going to, we'll, we, we have a long way to go. Hopefully not Jimmy G. I don't know if, if Jimmy G is, is, uh, have fun with Kirk cousins next it's year. Two sec- He's not coming back here. No chance. No. All right, gentlemen, <laughs> we've covered it. Thank you. Golf gods for this glorious moment. You've bestowed upon us. Jason Sobel, Nate dog, Nathan Hubbard. Thank you guys very much. Let's keep going with the wonderful 2021 golf season. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.